Man, what they got going on in there? McMurphy asks Harding. In there? Why, that's right, isn't it? You haven't had the pleasure. Pity. An experience no human should be without. Harding laces his fingers behind his neck and leans back to look at the door. That's the shock shop I was telling you about some time back, my friend. The EST, electroshock therapy. Those fortunate souls in there are being given a free trip to the moon. No, on second thought, it isn't completely free. You pay for the service with brain cells instead of money, and everyone has simply billions of brain cells to deposit. You won't miss a few. He frowns at the one lone man left on the bench. Not a very large clientele today, it seems. Nothing like the crowds of yesteryear. But then, say la vie, fads come and go, and I'm afraid we are witnessing the sunset of EST. Our dear head nurse is one of the few with the heart to stand up for a grand old Faulknerian tradition and the treatment of the rejects of sanity. Brain burning. Ken Casey, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Welcome back to the Wellhouse Exorcism. This is your ghost of the host the most, Shanna. It's Pukwa PJ. Oh, I like that. And a special guest who's more <laughs> important than you. Yep. Who are you? Welcome. Hi, I'm... To the Wellhouse. Hi, I'm Tim. Wow, Tim. It's nice to meet you in person. Very nice to meet you, finally. <laughs> it's so nice to have one of our special guests here. Jackie, I know you're listening. You should be jealous. Tim is in the Wellhouse physically sitting at the table right now and we said est it's from the quote of a novel <laughs> i caught that too it's e- a qu- ect <laughs> it's a quote from the novel it says est electroshock therapy jackie can't get mad because it came out of a novel penny sicker <laughs> penny what she'd hurt me <laughs> anyway welcome back to this week tim a couple weeks ago it's like feels like forever ago actually you suggested this through facebook messenger Thank you for being one of our best and, like, most talkative people. Again, we love listening and hearing from our listeners. Yes. We respond to you, and sometimes we invite you into the well house. Absolutely. I'm Mm -hmm. glad to be here. Are you creeped out? No, not at all. Yeah, right. It feels nice down here. I like it. It is. The bar is nice. The TV is nice. Ignore the ghost in the corner. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) I would just like... Jeffrey, get down! (laughs) Oh, we named him. I didn't realize he had a name. No, no, I just... <laughs> Jeffrey. Came to me. Why is it not a female voice? I don't know. Sexism. I've never seen a female in this house, like female silhouette in this house. That's true. All right. But there are cars outside. It's a motorcycle. Was it, though? Yeah, that was definitely Maybe it was a motorcycle. Jeffrey. <laughs> Who is Jeffrey leaving? Taking off. <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway, so to our listeners, I do have an important announcement. Actually, I have two. First off, we are like... Super, super close to our 10,000 downloads and listens. So we will be posting an image of our giveaway, and we'll also be posting a YouTube video of it. All right, so look out for that. Um, To get entered into it, you can comment on Facebook. You can personally message us on Facebook. You can comment on YouTube, or you can email us like Jackie does at gamesaboard at gmail.com. Any of those will put your name in for the the big win. Now, this is going to be a combined effort. Games Overboard, Danger and Dice, and Wellhouse. You're going to get a little bit of something from everything. Yeah, you're going to get D&D stuff, you're going to get games, and you're going to get some yep. creepy, creepy it's stuff. All, it's all creepy themed, though. Like, yep. it's a creepy board game. You get some creepy dice for D&D. I may have been in charge of this. <laughs> Not the game, though. That was me. I was very proud of you with that yeah. game. 
Uh, Tim, you'll be proud to know the game he chose is Arkham Horror. Yes, nice Lovecraft nice card creepy. game. Creepy. Of course. Very nice. Um, so we'll keep that all, um, and there'll be a big old um, giveaway soon. But I have another announcement. One that'll make Jackie very sad, and Tim too. He doesn't even know. This coming week, because um, this will be posted on June twenty fourth or July twenty yeah. fourth, the week after, we will be on vacation. So we are going to take a week off. I'm just letting you know. Yep. Jackie, you'll have to re-listen to one of the episodes. I'm really sorry. Okay? <laughs> Unless we can squeeze in a quick episode we, and get it posted. We might be able to. We have a pretty good idea for one. I already have a whole script for one. It, yep. Do you want to know what it is, Tim? Absolutely. You'll be the first to know. Absolutely. The lizard man. <laughs> <laughs> the lizard man. Yeah. There's a lizard man in Pennsylvania. Wow. My super best friend, Kevin Paul, as everyone knows, um, he's from Greene County. And in his books, he's mentioned the lizard man slash frog man. And so I've have had a back burner script for that for a while. But I'm like, you know what? Well, if- even he didn't want to put it in his book. He said in his interview with us. But he definitely believes in it. He just thought people would laugh at him. But there are stories of it back in the 1800s. So like, he's like, there's a legit background to this, <laughs> this beast. <laughs> um, so it was just going to be kind of like a joke, fun episode. Um, but anyway, we'll see if we get there. So I do apologize in advance if we do not have an episode the week after. I'm on the beach, y'all. Let me be. <laughs> Anything else you want to add to that? I'm jealous. I mean, unless we can come up with some beach-based ghosts and do a beach episode. See, I feel like they, a, a from beach, the beach. I think a beach would be haunted by ghosts. They'd be just chilling the whole time. I mean, that'd be fun. Of course, they like can't get a tan. No. Mm. Anyway, Tim's jealous of that. <laughs> Moving on. So this week, Tim, this was all your idea. What are we discussing? We are discussing the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. I love it. In West Virginia. Yes. Which will make um, our super best friend Kevin Paul happy because he lives really close to West Virginia. Yeah. Um, so you have you gone there or just heard about it? How did this come about? Uh, I just heard about it. I uh, was listening through a couple podcasts one day at work. And uh, they started talking about it, and I said, wow, that really sounds like someplace really cool. So I did some digging and then contact you and said, hey, I got a heck of an idea for you. <laughs> and I immediately looked into it, and I was like, yes, we are. <laughs> it's something. But I do want to say that during all my research, even this, like, um, British guy did some kind of, like, top ten scariest asylums. This was number six. Penhurst still is number one. So go Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to put that. So we did lots of research. I love how Tim has papers galore over here. It makes me so proud. I love seeing research. Um, for me, for my references, I used U.S. Ghost Adventures, um, Wow KTV. I'm sure it's W O W K T V. I'm sure they 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 call. It you wow got to pronounce KTV. it Wow. Uh, they use the Charleston Gazette Mail and of course Trans Allegheny Sounds website because it has now been bought and is used as a tourist attraction. Did you use anything different or no, pretty, much, pretty much pretty much what I used. Awesome. I have the New York Times. Okay. I have um, ghostwalks.com hmm. and the Washingtonian. I actually had that listed, but I never pulled any quotes from it, so I didn't actually put that in as mine. There you go. So you're going to use that story. Yeah. From the lady who was there? Yeah, it's not it's but it's an experience. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a neat experience. I like the way it was written, the style yeah. of it and everything. Well, perfect. I like that we're going to put it in there because I wasn't sure if we were going to. All right. So I know that you have all the history, sir. So I will kind of just do a little brief background and then I'm going to have you take over, Tim, because okay. you know way more than I do. 
So just in general, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, which became later known as the Western State Hospital, was a psychiatric hospital that operated from 1864 until 1994. I have questions as to how it was still open into the 90s. Right? We were alive. After Pennhurst shut down. That just, ugh. Maybe it's a different state, but, ugh. Anyway, 130 years it was open. I believe, what, 1994? Yeah, yeah. How old were you then, Tim? I just want to put in context. I was 22. How old were we? Seven. Seven. We were seven. (laughs) Thank you you for pointing out that I'm old. (laughs) Oh, Matt's not here, so we have to to somebody. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, um, so we know it it got its name changed to Weston State Hospital because it was built there. In the town of Weston. Yeah. Um, But it did go back to its original name, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, when it turned into that tourist attraction. Um, So that was in 2004, or 2007 was bought by Joe Jordan. Are we going to get into, like, the actual tourist attraction part of it? We can. Well, I I just want to say that uh, I really like that they do ghost tours and everything strictly to pay for renovations. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, that was, was that in one of the and videos? And it's, it's only a hundred bucks it's to so stay yeah. eight hours from 5 p.m. No, 8 p.m. To, to 5 a.m. Yep. Yeah. Road trip. Right. April yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, yeah, because when he originally bought it, the, the Jordan family, he quickly realized, because he can um, remove asbestos. So he was working on it, but he realized he didn't have enough money to continue because it's a really big estate. And so Rebecca Jordan, I think it's his daughter. Is that correct? I think so, yeah. Wrong. She suggested, why don't we open it, like, and just do, like, tours, you know, some historical tours and whatnot. And then it became, like, a niche thing to, like, do the ghost stuff. Um, and so they used the money completely to restore the place. So I thought I, I thought that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, someone doing something right for a change. Yeah, because it's huge. I mean, I can only imagine the amount of Jack, money. Was it? Can I give the dimensions? Well, we get there, yes. Okay. We're not there yet. Okay. All right. Jeez. We haven't gotten there yet. It's kind of fun. So it was originally designed to hold 250 people in solitude. Um, but, of course, like Penhurst and every other song became quickly overcrowded. And by the 1950s, there was at least 2,400 patients. Other paperwork says 2,600. Regardless, that is a lot. And that means there was like one doctor to two times. Yeah. Or more. <laughs> yeah. At least 10 yeah. times the one amount of. One staff member to like 250 patients. Oh. That's why I got so dirty, as you had mentioned before we started recording. Uh, it was forcibly closed in 1994 due to changes in patient treatment. Again, 1994? Yeah. I, is, anyway. So uh, the hospital was open for 130 years. Um, so that just kind of blows my mind. So the hospital itself was intended to be self-sufficient like places like um, we did a whole bunch on Harrisburg, right? Mm-hmm. Harrisburg State. Yeah. So it had a farm. It had a dairy. It had a waterworks. It had a cemetery. It also, I found out on, it was a, I think I was listening to a podcast or it was a video on YouTube. They even had their own ice area. They used their, they made their own ice huh. to be completely self-sufficient. Interesting. You're welcome. That's cool. <laughs> yes. But the size dimensions, go ahead. Okay, yeah. So, um, ironically, 666 acres mm-hmm. of land. Uh, and, yeah, 13 buildings also. It's totally fine. <laughs> it's Yeah, not not an omen at all. No, not at all. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the building uh, was four floors, and each floor is a quarter mile long and is 240,000 square feet. Yeah, and Which the walls. insane. Oh, yeah, and each wall is two feet thick. Yeah. It's 
crazy. Um, now, the history behind it, too, I know Tamita did the research on this, uh, but the person who created it was the design of Thomas Story Kirkbride. And I know that you have a lot about him. Um, so do you want to pick up and talk about Thomas? Sure, I can do that. So Dr. Kirkbright plan, uh, his plan asylums tended to be large, imposing institutional buildings, uh, like you mentioned before, uh, very long wings, uh, very open air. He believed that the open air concept of fresh air was great for people's mental health. Mm -hmm. They were able to roam around the facilities. Mm -hmm. uh, they all had their own rooms. It was uh, meant to be a, a really nice place. Unfortunately, it didn't continue that way. No. Yeah. All of his ideas are gone. <laughs> yeah, it was like... The original plan of it sounds amazing. They had separate wards, everyone did. Um, a dumbwaiter system it talked about for bringing things from the kitchen. Like we mentioned, it was self-sustainable. Mm -hmm. It had, you know, the farm, ice house, their own water. So Thomas Kirkbride himself was a mentally ill man, and he did work extensively with Dorothea Dix to enact changes to housing and caring for the mentally ill pa patients. He believed patients should be allowed to roam around the facility and the grounds on the asylum. He believed that giving patients more freedom was essential to their healing and that soon they would even be cured of their illness. Some of the patients remember fond memories of the asylum. The asylum truly used to live up to its name. And actually one um, um, article I was reading, there was a man when the place shut down he was crying because yeah. he'd been there for 60 years and the idea of leaving his home scared him. And he was living there for 94 years. So he was there from like 1930s on. He was there during the worst of it and he wanted to stay. That's how some people felt about Penhurst. Yeah, too. I know. It's the only thing he knew. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess in some ways it, it must have worked a bit except for the, you know, starving at one point because too many people, not enough food, you know. But how about the masonry? Because that was a really interesting thing that you had brought up. So in your research, you had mentioned that the Kirkbride plan, like he used specific rocks and whatnot, and he they used like a free labor system. So uh, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, the free labor system. When construction started in 1858, the first crew were actually African-American convicts from uh, Western Penitentiary in Stanton. And uh, they arrived started to work and after two months they realized they didn't have enough labor so the board requested an additional convicts and in 1859 the governor ordered the transfer of more prisoners from Stanton to Weston to continue with construction and then the civil war civil war happened the civil war happened and everything kind of went by the wayside because uh, and 1861, obviously, the Civil War started, mm -hmm. and Virginia, the Ordinance of Succession, uh, construction was halted and didn't start back up until uh, 1863 then. Oh, wow. Okay. Was there, there was like a, some side story that I didn't really catch, but somebody had to like, they robbed gold and the money that was supposed to go to this yeah, was Yeah, really I saw something about that. Yeah, yeah, I missed that whole story. There's something about like the money that was supposed to go to... It was allocated to help build this building they stole. I, I don't know. I missed that whole thing. Yeah, I have a, I have a little bit on that. Unspent funds were ordered to be returned to Richmond. Instead, Governor Pierpont of the newly formed restored governor of Virginia directed the money to be taken to Wheeling under Calvary Escort. And basically, I heard something rumor about it was, it was robbed. Or yeah, there was like a gold yeah. robbery. A yeah. gold robbery or something. <laughs> 
I didn't go too much into no. that. No, it's not about the building yeah. itself, but it's like, oh. In terms I mean, of the building itself, Union troops took over, and they yeah. they had it for most of the time. They and got they, kicked out a couple times, and, they and used, then they, yeah, they yeah. used it for uh, barracks and yeah. hospital yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. So 1863, they go back to building it. They finished, uh, they completed their building when? Uh, it opened in 1864 with nine patients, but the huge building wasn't actually completed until 1881. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, dang. Yeah. I mean, it's so big. It makes sense, 13 buildings. Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, Now, we had mentioned the masonry work before we started recording. Um, Originally, uh, Kirkbride wanted the masonry to be this blue stone that he was having shipped in. But um, it would take a while for it to come. And they were getting annoyed that it was taking so long. So they started using the yellow stones. But regardless, there's actually a theory as to why it is so haunted. And it's because of the stones themselves. Inside the stone work is crushed up quartz, usually in these stones. And so there's a whole theory. Yeah, it's called stone tape theory. And I guess we all kind of discovered this theory as we were researching yeah. this, right? Yeah, right. Uh, so similar to the story that water holds memories is that certain types of stone and minerals can also hold paranormal activity or, you know, energies. Yeah, they maybe gives them energy. Uh, the, the same way that celluloid mm-hmm. can store recordings, you know, it can store energy. And it's like only in certain types of stone and this building is full of it. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the entire outer walls is all this masonry. I also read someplace in the the research and I didn't make a note of it, but it's supposed to be like the second largest stone building in the world. I thought, oh. Oh, maybe it's, is it the biggest it's, it's one after, here? It's in, a, no, I thought it was after like the Kremlin or something like that. Oh, okay. Huh. Maybe maybe it's the biggest one in, in the world. Sorry, in America. Then, America, it was, right? Like, one of the yeah. biggest ones. But Kirkbride, I, and I don't want to get this wrong, but again, I did a lot of research as you did. I believe they said they liked his plans so much that he helped build seventy-two of these asylums across the United States. I think I think that's the yeah. Kirk, Kirkbride plan basically. Yeah. It was a model used yeah. for asylums all over but i want to say it was 72 like it was a it was close it, to 100 it was it was big i know that it was a very big number it is the largest hand stone masonry building in north america and north america. second largest in the world next to the kremlin yep there so there you go we, look at us air fives everybody doing our research <laughs> Woo! all right the old man actually remembered it <laughs> i remembered the north america thing <laughs> um so Let's move into the actual patients and patient care then, because you said when it opened initially, there were nine residents. They were all female. And so I would like to discuss what it, what you did to get there. Why you were chosen. She's darn crazy. Yep. Acting all crazy you're again. You're going to send me. It's West Virginia. And that's all it took back then. <laughs> so but if you go to. Woman, you keep it up. <laughs> I'm sending you away. <laughs> Good. It'll be a rest spot from you. Don't make me sandwich. <laughs> All right, pause. We're going to tell a story now because there's a joke to that. So um, all through college, we had a lot of friends who um, liked to tell chauvinistic jokes. Oh, yeah. Because they knew that would rile up my friend and I. Um, so there were a lot of jokes. Oh, she hated them. I did. I went through a very brief, like, ultra-feminist phase. You did. Yeah. Now, Don't you dare get the door for me. I'm like, fine, okay. Sounds <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> good to me. I'll just go to my door. <laughs> um, but anyway, we get married. We're living here, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I happen to be in the kitchen, 
and I'm watermelon pregnant with Sophie. So again, this is like when the things are happening in this house. And he walks into the kitchen, looks at me, and he goes, I won. And I go, what do you mean? You're barefoot, you're in the kitchen, and you're making me a sandwich. I won. <laughs> and he walks away, and I'm like, what? <laughs> so that's why he said make me a sandwich. There's a whole back joke to that. <sighs> that was a pretty good... Jack was there witness it, and Jack was laughing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. my brother is useless. So anyway, if you go to Trans Allegheny, they actually have a big list in their um, shopping area of all the different reasons people were brought here initially um, as patients. So they could be admitted um, for various reasons, including asthma. So already we're in trouble. I'm in trouble. Yeah. Uh-huh, all three of us. Whole table's in trouble. <laughs> Laziness. <laughs> Egotism. Domestic troubles. And even greediness. More so, women were sent there because they were insubordinate to their husbands, so I'm in trouble. <laughs> uh, others were sent there because of stomach issues. So I guess if you have indigestion, watch out. Uh-huh, yep. Um, worries over politics, we're all going. Oh, boy. Uh, rabies, tuberculosis. <laughs> they actually ended up being a tuberculosis ward, which is good. Mm-hmm. Oh, another one, seduction. Oh, my. And book reading. I, I saw that <laughs> one, yeah. <laughs> book reading. Yeah. All I could think was Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Woman, what are you reading that book for? <laughs> mm, this reminds me of... Who's our- teaching you learning? It reminds me of Arthur Miller when uh, the one woman's reading a book. Oh, she's reading books by the fire. <laughs> what? Anyway, no surprise. Husbands were known to bring their wives there um, as patients because then they could, you know, marry oh, someone yeah. else. So as we mentioned before, the first nine patients were female. Many who were brought there were brought because of their female issues, i.e. bad menstruation. Ah, oh, man. Awkward. Awkward. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, is it your monthly check-in? <laughs> oh something annoying to me was the inconsistency of allowable conditions though because one woman who couldn't read along with another woman who could read could both be admitted because one couldn't read and one could read it's just crazy (laughs) well she's reading too much and she's not reading at all oh here you go take them wow yes so no surprise there was an overwhelming number of patients most of them female um and it caused the asylum to have a shortage of staff and beds so as you mentioned they started being crammed together so kirk bright's plan just just is destroyed went out the window absolutely they were going like four or five to rooms yeah i got to the point too where they're in the hallway Right? Yeah, there's a story. Like, you saw pictures of like these just beds lined up in hallways, and then it became we got none of that either. So, did you read what happened to some of the patients um, about being sure. on the floor? Oh yeah, on the floor. Yeah, oh, with, with freezing on the floor with no heat. Yeah, and most of these patients were naked, because just like Penhurst, because you know they soil their clothes, uh-huh. they wash it. Yeah. So that they're laying, they're forced to sleep on the floor. It's freezing, and there's no heat because the heating were just like quit. Yeah. So. Yeah. So very similar to Penhurst. Um, but you mentioned just the, the general disgusting, like, life there. So what did you see about, like, just the dirt? Yeah, um, lack of proper care and access to sanitation led to a large number of deaths at the asylum. Um, they, of course, they ran out of food because oh the, this, the farm was meant to sustain, what, 250 people. Yep. And at this point, they had, what, 10, ten, to, times, ten that. times that much. So uh, think about it, basic sanitation, I mean... Their sanit- yeah. sanitation yeah. system couldn't handle that many people. So you had 
literally filth everywhere. Yeah. And you had mold growing on the walls, people living in their soiled mm-hmm. filth, and yeah. it was bad. Yeah, very reminiscent of Penhurst. The idea that yeah, yeah. some people were chained to their beds and like laying in their feces for days. That happened here too, yeah. according to some sources. But I think it was one of the, I think there was like an investigation. They found mold like on the windows and the wallpaper was peeling. So ugh. anyway, mm. um, now, of course, you mentioned the, the food supplies running low, which of course is because they weren't prepared for that high number of people. But there were also inmates coming, you know, the criminally insane and these violent offenders, along with people who actually needed to be somewhere safe because they have mental illness. So murder and chaos were rampant, and it was patient against patient and patient against staff. So I know you know a story, PJ, of patients versus another patient. Go ahead. Um, Shoot, I wish I knew his name. Dean Mathery? I think his name was. I didn't put his name down to be uh, nice, but yeah, sorry. But anyways, it was um, it's called the Bedpost Murder. And uh, this man who uh, was mute was thrown into a room with two people who were just like criminally insane. And uh, they wrapped a bedsheet around his neck and then around a pipe in the ceiling and would hang him from it until he passed out. And then they let him wake up and then hang him from it again. And... They repeatedly did that. And when they got bored with that, they put him under one of the legs of the bed and jumped on the bed. Until? Until, until he was nothing but bone and brain well, the, the, on the floor. The famous quote is, until the bedpost touched the floor again. Yeah. Ugh. And there were also um, a lot of patients attacking their staff, too. And oh, you yeah. had mentioned that in passing. Oh, can I just say that uh, they were tried for murder, but then they were sent uh they, they, no they never left right. because they were just deemed un, unfit yeah. for un, um, insane and yeah we'll just keep you where I you're didn't realize at they were like, yeah I didn't realize that happened yeah no. um many of the female nurses were raped uh, unfortunately because again it's one person to 250 inmates um and i hate to say inmates but i should say patients but it was a combination of people now mm-hmm. but you know a really horrifying story tim so go ahead and take away yeah another incident uh a nurse went missing uh only to be found dead two months later at the bottom of an unused staircase uh they said she was raped and murdered yeah and her body was just decomposing down there mm. And that kind of shows, like, just the general disorder that a body can be there for two months and you don't notice it. Yeah. I get that it's an unused stairwell, but the smell? The smell, yes. I'm just must have been covered by the smell of everything else. Everything else. I mean. Very and, indicative of yeah. what was going on. It, it had to. It, I need to take a shower. <laughs> it really had to have been, had to uh, be on a living hell. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Now, there were stories of vicious stabbings, one patient to another. 17 times the patient was stabbed. Before anybody stepped in, like yeah. they found that person like just bleeding. Well, again, out. I was thinking like one staff member to about 250 people. That's like if the principal were in charge of our high school here in town mm-hmm. and no one else. Yep. Just that one person in charge of all the grades and all those different classrooms, all the different classrooms. But if each of, but there'd be even more rooms, you know, so mm-hmm. even more places to hide and, you know, things like that. Yeah. And, more places to check. I did have one other thing when we mentioned, uh, you know, the patients running the asylum. It, it, I don't know if you had this or not, but uh, the residents in October 1935 actually set fire to the fourth yeah. floor of the building, completely oh destroying it. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, actually, there were a couple of pyromaniac episodes, from what I understand, at that place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The fourth floor is like, in terms of paranormal activity, it's the most violent place. Yeah, well, so. didn't they house like a lot of the violent people there? Plus, we're talking yeah. lobotomies and stuff too. Yeah, um, I can imagine there was probably people there that didn't make it out. So, yeah. well, there mm-hmm. are a lot of people who escaped too, and they would be brought back, and they would escape again. So, I mean, there was <laughs> such there were the, well, again, there's so few people watch? to watch them. Yeah, you can't. There is also another story of a teenager who killed five small children before he was found and stopped. Wow. Yeah. And then there was the case of Lily, who died there from pneumonia, people believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Ages between 9 to 12, but that was typical for the time. Yeah, but like at least that's of a natural cause-ish versus being murdered by... But still, the fact that she got pneumonia while living in there, you know, that's not great. Um, so I want to move forward now to the different, you know, because we have people who like, you know, are whistleblowers for Penhurst and whatnot. So people were actually doing surveys and reports on these different asylums. And there was a big one done in 1938. So in 1938, there was a report by a survey committee organized by a group of North American medical organizations. And they found the hospital housed epileptics, alcoholics, drug addicts, and non-educable mental defectives among more people the population so that's just a couple but again i don't understand why an alcoholic should be in a place where we're talking about it should be for mentally handicapped people yeah it was for rehabilitation purposes but again that's not the right place no no for it a series of reports by the charleston gazette in 1949 so we're talking over 10 years later found poor sanitation and insufficient furniture lighting and heating in much of the complex while one wing which had been rebuilt using works progress administration funds following that 1935 fire you had mentioned, was luxurious and beautiful. So it's like, huh. we're going to keep this for ourselves? I don't <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. I understand it. Um, now, of course, there was lack of proper care, and that, that would lend to a large number of people dying. Um, and this is where we were all talking before we started recording, what the number, like the count of dead people must be, because yeah. we don't actually know. So there is no official count of patients who have died there. Um, historians looking at just the book work suggests between 400 and 500 based on numbers of suicides and murders. But we know that's not possible. Yeah, it can't be possible because there are reportedly 2,000 bodies in the cemetery on the grounds. And then during more research, I found there's unmarked graves on the hillside. So you're talking the estimated number has to be 20,000. Some records say 30,000. Yeah. And then one, I think it was you, Tim, said it was up to 60,000, right? Yeah, absolutely. So no one actually knows how many people actually died at this place. Um, I mean, there was three different cemeteries on the property. Yeah. So, I mean, there was bodies buried everywhere, yeah. unmarked yeah. graves. Yeah. yeah. And then just random, like, in mass graves, too. Because, like, you have these unmarked graves, you have marked graves, and you have, oh, over there, people might be might be buried. Not yeah. to mention... Uh, <laughs> All the people buried in the graveyard weren't always buried either. There was cremation going on, I believe, too. Well, actually, and that what's interesting is, so I do have a happy side note for this, but before I go into that, West Virginia did attempt to exhume all the bodies because they felt bad that this had happened in their state. But after, after finding 4,000 bodies over three cemeteries, including just the hillside, they had to give up because of the manpower. They were just exhausted. Yeah. 4,000 extra bodies there. So it's not 400 to 500. So I, I would probably go at that high number. You mentioned 60,000. I believe it could possibly Easy. be that high. Oh, yeah. But the, there's, the good side fact is the people who were buried in the graveyard, the actual named people, um, they were buried 
not cremated. Because Kirkbride, going back to his idea, he said that you should actually, you know, bury bodies, not cremate them. It shows respect to that person, to their spirit. Um, and so they did to those official mm. ones. Okay. Apart from that, like now, as far as I know, there's no cremation on that site. But the questionable practices, um, they, they did later abuse the bodies. You'll appreciate this, PJ. Oh, boy. When the graveyard started running out of room, there were accounts of bodies being given to universities for medical okay. research. And even to one man who wanted to practice mummification. Oh, wow. Oh, just some guy. Yeah, some guy. Hey, oh. can, can I have a body? Yeah. Wow. It's 10. Yeah. So they, they don't have a number of how many were given to these places, but it's a lot. So I'm not sure if there was cremation, but definitely abuse of bodies yeah. after we ran out of space. So they did, they did initially follow Thomas uh, Kirkbride's plan, which I thought was great, but then they didn't. Jeez. So it's like happy and not so happy. <laughs> I mean, 4,000 bodies is what they found not including the 20, in 130 actually, years. That's yeah. yeah. In 130 years. Like, that's a lot. Just from the official ones that they found. That's so that's what I think it has that's, to be like. Cause it's got to be a lot. If they're holding 10 times the patients they're supposed to. And then they're giving away bodies and things. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. So I think the number 10 found is probably probably closer to the truth, 60,000. I wouldn't be surprised. Especially no, with. Not the, at all. Yeah. The next part, the lobotomies. Yeah. How about it? Should we go into questionable practices that are happening oh, here? Oh, goody. Let's do it. Yay. <laughs> Who wants to discuss the lobotomies? Tim does. All right. Well, Weston State <laughs> Hospital also became a place to have lobotomy done. So much that the West Virginia Lobotomy Project, created in the early 1950s, was housed there. The father of the ice pick lobotomies, Dr. Walter Freeman, was there. Yeah. That's the moniker I want. The father of ice the pick father lobotomy. The father of ice pick lobotomy. It sounds like a character from a horror movie or yeah. something. Ice pick. Yeah. Where do you well, how, how about the fact oh. that his last name is Freeman? I know, right? <laughs> Fun fact, he had no formal surgical training either. He also was the doctor who performed the lobotomies on Rosemary and Kennedy even. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so when they talk about, like, you know, that whole unspoken thing, her father wanted her to have a more normal life because she was always, you know, depressed and sad and hysterical. Nope. Yeah, whoops. So the Operation Ice Pick, as it was called, had a singular plan, which was to complete a large number of lobotomies so the overall population of the asylum would go down and reduce the overcrowding issue. Isn't that nice? I think that's so sweet. Like, let's give you a lobotomy, then you can go back home. You can go well, back home. And even at yourself. the very least, like, especially when you start getting the criminally insane, like, at least they're not running around trying to attack you. Like, I, I think, can see I think it was their why to... they're just like, we need to do something. Yeah, you know, I, it made them easier managed. Yeah, well, and it was actually, selfish reasons. I think that, entirely. That's the reason why I chose the quotes that I have for the opening and the closing tonight. They're both from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Because in that novel, so many times they discuss the fog. And the fog is what you want to put yourself into. It's where the pain goes away, whether it's coming from ECT or if it's coming from lobotomies or from medicine, mm -hmm. from, the conic from that catatonic state. You want to go in the fog because it's better than being in the reality of your situation. Yeah. So I, I chose my quotes based on Operation Ice Pick. Like, that's yeah. what it was called. <laughs> Operation yeah. Ice Pick. Operation Ice Pick. 
Anyway, sorry, Tim, go ahead. No, that's okay. The hospital performed over 4,000 lobotomies, which left patients with brain damage and hemorrhages. As you can imagine. Yeah. 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 The hospital used the ice pick method. This involved actually slipping a thin pointed rod. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it makes me feel sick. That's right. <laughs> into the patient's eye socket. And then it was hammered and was severed, excuse me, it then severed the connective tissue and the frontal lobe of the brain. This was all without, here we go, no anesthesia. Yeah. And so if you went back to our Psych 101 class in college, I'm not sure what, what, courses you've had but pj and i sat through psych 101 together it wasn't that they just hammered it through the part of your orbital section to get that prefrontal cortex they also would wiggle it around around. to make sure that they broke all of that neural connection sorry Ugh. what you imagine that sound well what movie what, what movie was i don't know if you even saw it it might have been just a movie i saw but there's a horror movie where like you like you see an ice pick lobotomy happen and it's oh so now I'm Man. good. Whatever it is, I'm not going to watch it. Okay, yeah. got it. <laughs> it was terrible. Oh, yeah, no anesthesia. Oh, gosh, okay. Hmm. So obviously this resulted in more than a few deaths. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, oops, I went Metal too rod far. in your brain? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Lobotomies regularly left patients without a personality as their neural connections were severed. There is one doctor who was recorded as performing almost... 230 lobotomies in a two-week period at one time. Can you imagine 230 lobotomies in two weeks? In 14 days. The next part is well, what that, I'm sorry. I'm assuming he has off like for the weekend. So let's say 10, 10 working days. Yeah. That's a lot. Oh, yeah. Ugh. The stories told of this time period state patients were lined up to receive their lobotomies. The doctors could perform one in three or four minutes. They even performed this on children as young as four years old. Yeah, almost Alex's age. Can you imagine? Like, I just, yeah. my brain hurts thinking about it. Uh-huh. It makes me think of when we did our discussion about Gettysburg and um, the old sawbones being able to chop off oh, their yeah. limbs. Uh-huh. It just makes me think about that. Like, just, okay, chick, chick, squiggle, off you go. Like I wonder how many times it, they had to do it before they're just desensitized and it's just a, a, a thing, you know, going through the motions. Well, and some of these people, like, they had multiple lobotomies done. Yeah. Multiple ones because the first couple didn't work. So some yeah. people had, like, four to six lobotomies, right? Oof. Oh. You can't. When people say my brain tickles, now I'm like, oh, don't say that. Don't <laughs> say your brain tickles. All right. Anyway. Uh, so... They did use ECT here, um, but for the most part, lobotomies were used. And I did read that even after the lobotomy was kind of recognized as being horrific and you shouldn't use it, it was still being used. And then doctor who's known for ice pick lobotomies, Freeman, um, actually toured the United States and was still offering them years after it was deemed like inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, ugh. Anyway, other therapies included drugs, of course. Um, so... Chlorpromazine, also known as thorazine, which is the most common pronunciation for it, was a medicine intended to treat psychotic disorders, but it was just given to keep them quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's one way to contain your patients. Here, take this pill, you know. Yeah. Keep and, them in a catatonic state. Yeah. And so. Easy to control, easy to handle. Yeah. You know, when, when Ken Casey wrote his novel, like that was, again, that fog. Whether yeah. you're getting it through a lobotomy or ECT or through a pill, you wanted to go in that fog. It was just easier than the reality of life. 
Um, this is something that we mentioned happened at Penhurst a lot, the idea of giving medicine. Um, they also did water baths, which you mentioned from Penhurst. And Jackie has more about that when we do Eastern States. So I'm not yeah. going to skip over um, water baths for now. But they also used insulin shock therapy, which uh, we discussed that during mm -hmm. um, Harrisburg State. That ugh, freaks it's me crazy. out because they are purposely putting you in a coma. Coma, yeah. Um, oh, let's not forget that all this is without consent. Too. Of course, yes. Yeah, you know, like they don't have to sign anything. You yeah. know, no guardian has to sign anything. They can just do it. Well, actually, uh, I have a mention about that later. So oh yeah. About like you know, no consent. Yeah. Uh, so it's no surprise uh, that people were you know dying from this stuff too. But I did find a story about how the staff abused their patients. Uh, so the mail ward, PJ, they were allowed to smoke. If a mail um, client or patient happened to abuse the staff, they found an ingenious way to get back at that, that uh, patient. What they would do is they would cut off all cigarettes from the entire ward. So not just you, the bad guy, but everybody in your ward. Ah, oh, great. Yes. Withdrawal symptoms, of course, kick in. But they wait three or four days. All right. After that, they'd put you in a small room with the rest of the ward. They'd light one cigarette. And hand it to you. Yep. To you, the bad the bad guy. Then leave and close the door. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. As you can imagine, those patients did not survive. Oh yeah. Yeah. So the last part I have here about like those questionable practices though. So by the nineteen eighties, the hospital had a reduced population due to changes in the treatment of mental illness. Much of this may be directly attributed to the legal actions against Penhurst, which you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. But again, it still op was open until 1994, right? It's crazy. Um, but the treatment of patients was not the best. People were still being controlled by being locked into cages or to walls well into the 80s and 90s. Um, the asylum got so bad the staff discouraged family members from visiting. Okay, so not only was there no consent to these things they were doing, but they're all saying, don't come visit. It's not healthy for them to see you so much. But it's because they couldn't keep the place clean. And they didn't want their patients telling their family what was happening to them. To the point where they actually told family members, please do not open the mail that is sent to you from these patients. Because they're lying. Of course, yeah. <laughs> they're lying. Um, so as we mentioned, though, then it eventually does shut down. Yeah. But that, in a nutshell is Trans-Allegheny. Before we get to the hauntings, how do you feel, PJ? I mean, some of it we've heard before, yeah. you know, and it's all the same old stuff, but the complete lack of control in this place, I feel, is worse than the others. Like, the others were just straight-up neglect, Yeah. but this is like, I cannot control these people, you know, yeah. where it's it's a different different type of... It's the Inadequ inadequacy. It's like the old saying, you know, the patients running the asylum. That's what yeah. it was. Oh I yeah, mean, they there yeah. was no, you know, they they were in charge. You know, when when this place shut down, the town of Weston was upset because this was such a great place for people to work. It was a great, it was a place to make money because there you could get a job there. Were you doing your job? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like I'd what? I'd be afraid to go. Like you had to live on the campus there. I wouldn't want to live there. Yeah. Especially if I heard that someone was dead for two months before they found her body. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right? Can you imagine being a janitor? <laughs> like, where do I start? No, no, thank you. <laughs> oh. 
All right, so we all did research on the hauntings, and so no surprise, this place is going to be haunted. Like, yeah. uh, Mike, I'm going to ask the question: Do you think it's haunted? Because I think it is. Like, I definitely think it is. This much negativity, and then you have the courts. I never heard and of this, this stone much theory. death. Yeah, untold death too. Yeah, I, I'm. I would believe any of this, and as you said, Tim, road trip because if it's only hundred dollars a night, let's go. Yeah. I can afford that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Amy? Let's go. Who's watching my kids? <laughs> Jack Aspen, if you're listening, <laughs> you're watching my kids. All right. So I know you did a lot of research and stuff. So I know you have all this right here. I did some things. You did some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> there are general hauntings. Y'all can have your own places, but I'll discuss the general hauntings. Mm-hmm. No surprise. They see dark shadows. Yep. Which is indicative of past trauma a lot of times. Now, dark shadows can just be spirits. But I like they kind of showcase a lot in these places because they become like a shadow of their own, their former self in a way yeah. too. Um, objects move on their own. Sometimes they're tossed at you and lobbed at your head. We'll get uh, into that later, I'm sure. Oh yes, you will. Yes, uh, there are disembodied voices and cries. There's also maniacal laughter. Of course, who would have thought? Uh, you'll hear bangings on walls. You'll hear breaking glass. Mm-hmm. Um, now they also have seen doors slam, yep. especially on the fourth floor, and they've seen floating orbs. So the things you would think of in haunted houses and whatnot is all there. Yep. But there are other places, too. So who wants to do the back room? Oh, go ahead, Tim. All right, the back room. So in a room towards the back end of one of the wings, a patient was murdered by two others, which I believe we... That's the story. Yeah. ...story from PJ earlier. Uh, They attempted to hang him, but when they failed, they placed his head under the bed frame and jumped on it until the bed frame touched the floor. This room is known for its cold spots and quiet cries, which is said to be Dean, the man who was murdered in his room. So his name was Dean. All right. Also are the isolation cells, which of course is where you go for your punishment by yourself. They were used to house inmates who were unruly. It was so terrible that patients would do just about anything to get out of isolation. One story in particular is especially surprising. A former boxer who suffered from head injuries during his career, mm-hmm. um, it's set him there, of course, left him violent and emotionless. He attempted to beat down the metal door that isolated him. He ended up ripping it off its hinges, leaving visible dents in the steel. When he finally got the door off, he handed it to one of the nurses and calmly returned <laughs> to his room. The rooms uh, used most for isolation tend to have violent energies attached to them which visitors report being pushed or scratched, as well as hearing voices that are disembodied saying, get me out of here. Jeez. Yeah, but yeah, just here, take this door. I got to go back to my room now. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> it's crazy. Big, big steel door. Just yeah. hands it to her and says, see ya. Yeah. And you're kind of like, yeah, okay. He could hurt me. Got it. All right. <laughs> I, I just don't want this door, please. <laughs> this is a crap door. <laughs> our next person is? I so, uh, our next ghost. Not yeah. Me. So uh, there's Lily. There are two different stories of um, how Lily got in here, mm-hmm. uh, but the common one is that a pregnant woman was admitted to the hospital and she was born there and lived there, you know, her whole That's life. That's the one yeah. I heard. Yep. Regardless, she was labeled as a patient. Yep. Yeah. the The other thing, the other option was she was brought in very early and then she just lived there. Either way, you know, her, yeah. most of her life, she was there. Yeah. Uh, so she was very playful and friendly. And I uh, believe she was spent her entire life there. So uh, she died when she was nine of no- pneumonia, as we said before. Uh, she's known for her laughter and her interest in playing games. 
and especially with the staff, people like will bring toys in. Uh, her room is littered with toys, and it was like this blue teal color on the walls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those toys will move on their own. Uh, people will feel like a tugging on their clothes, uh, things like that, like playful little things when they are in that room or walking past that room. You can also hear a music box at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, here's a fun side story: the room that is hers up there. That actually was one of the lobotomy rooms. Ooh. Yeah, so whether it was her room or not, that was actually a lobotomy room. Jack Osborne and his show Portals to Hell, they got a psychic medium, blindfolded her, and took her through the asylum. And when they got to Lily's room, she stopped and she's like, there's a, a woman in here. So she was wrong that it was you know, not a child, but she got the gender. And she's like, there's a woman in here. And she... Uh, she's very playful though she's you know not nothing bad and she's like i'm also i'm also seeing a a very blue room in here and they're like you know jack osborne's just like oh yeah right (laughs) and uh then they get to the um the bedpost murder room and because everyone believes that it's haunted by the murderers Right. Uh, and as soon as she gets in there, she goes, I feel a man laying on his stomach and he can't talk. Oh. So it's actually Dean. Yeah. And that's the thing is um, the owner of the place, she's like, no, like, it's not public knowledge. You know, and she's like, it will be after this show is released, <laughs> but, uh, but it's not public knowledge that Dean was mute. So the fact that she was able to say like he can you know she can't, can't speak talk. you know he can't talk yeah. that was pretty amazing like I'm usually pretty friggin skeptical about psychics mm-hmm. because all the famous ones are quacks <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know I I don't have um, a lot of faith in them. Do you want to really know a really cool fact about our super best friend Kevin Paul? Let's hear it. He's actually a medium too. Really? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yep. All right. That's all I got. That's all I got, too. It's not any kind of fun stuff about Jimmy Stegmeyer. So. Yeah. So, poor Dean. But, you know, actually, he had the mentality of a child. And so, they, I think they put him in with those two inmates because he got along with everybody. And there was overcrowding. But bad choice in the park. Because, yeah. actually, everyone loved Dean, at, from what I understand. Like, he was a sweetheart. He made friends with everybody. Like, he was always smiling. Mm-hmm. He was a really, really nice um, inmate. Yeah. I, sorry, I don't want to say inmate. He was a patient. He was a good patient. So the next person then is Ruth, which I think you should tell her story, Tim, because you're a man, and I think it's funny. Well, during Ruth's life, Ruth was a patient who hated men, and she would often throw objects at them. So now on the first floor of the building, she's known to purposely target men, even shoving them against walls sometimes. If something comes flying at your head, it's Ruth. It's Ruth. (laughs) Yep. Get out of here. She's a hater. (laughs) Oh, Anyway, so the last part that I have, um, I'm not sure, do you guys have any more ghost stories? That you I can have read? one more that's okay. down there. So then I'll do mine, then you can do yours. We'll just keep doing our round robin here. It's kind of great. All right, cool. So Rebecca Jordan, again, I think she's the daughter of the, of the man who bought the place, uh, but she was giving a tour. And after this tour, she stopped giving them. She's like, everybody else could now. So this is all stuff from her first person. She said, one ghost made itself known, quote, he laid his hands on my shoulder and squeezed. I was scared to death. The group in front of me was asking what happened to you. That was the last year I worked in the haunted house. <laughs> so that huh. happened. Yeah. So she actually got squeezed by a ghost. 
She also tells the story of a ghost named Jacob. The first time he was ever seen or talked to was during the 2008 Ghost Hunter show, Jordan said. He was looking for his beer. During later research, <laughs> she learned that there was a Jacob Ayers. I see he's been admitted. He's an alcoholic. He's delusional and thinks everyone is hiding his beer. She oh, added Jordan, right. literally on the admission paperwork from 1892. So it could be that Jacob is there. Give me my beer. It could be yep. him. From that residual haunt, but so any other ghosts that you could find, Tim, or was that all pretty much that you knew too? Um, well, we have the Civil War barracks. That's yeah. PJ's got that is all him. Uh, that's all. That's all you then. Yeah. Go right ahead. Because so, I read that there was like at least nine different ghosts, but the only names I could really get were Jacob, of course, the Dean kind of whole thing, and Lily. So Lily, yeah. Lily, they really went into Lily on mm-hmm. the uh, on s- several of the uh, documentaries that I watched on YouTube. Yeah, they showed all the toys in the room. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. Yeah, she must be the most active them of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I lied. I have two things. Perfect. All yeah. Right. So from the Washingtonian. Are we gonna do that one first before Civil War? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <clears throat> so uh, from Marissa Cascino, uh, she spent the night there, and she she said in her thing, it, it's really cleverly written. I like her style, uh, but she talks about how she's expecting a whole lot of like. People who are like big into the hobby of ghost hunting, like laden with electronics and all this stuff. And there weren't. Instead, there was uh, like an elderly couple who was there, not elder, but like older than her. Um, there was a grandmother with her granddaughter. And she's like, they were the ones I hung out with. <laughs> and oh, the, wow. there are a couple like teenage guys too and stuff like that. So. Uh, the grandmother and her daughter. Well, her name. Her name was Julia. Two twe- yeah, there's Julia. a mom with two tweens. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, anyway, she stuck with Julia, and uh, they were uh, exploring the ha- or exploring the asylum, things like that. Uh, and they go into one of the rooms uh, haunted by the spirit of Jim James. And so, so again, I didn't yeah. find anything on. I've him, seen that but, name yeah. though, but I couldn't figure out who he was or what he had yeah, all done. All I knew was Big Jim, who was the guy who like helped kill Dean. That's all I could. Yeah. One person I know. So, but they put a mag light on the floor, and they asked him to turn it on, and they sat and they waited for a little bit and it did, and they're like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and so <laughs> they asked him to turn it off, and it turned off. And uh, then they went to Lily's room, tried it, nothing. And they didn't have anything else for the whole eight hours that they were there. That was the only paranormal uh, experience they had. Uh, but she ex- inspected the flashlight and everything. She's like, there, it was a normal flashlight. There was nothing different about it. So there's no reason to suspect Julia of anything. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that nothing else happened for the rest of the night really makes me believe her story even more. That it was legit. Um. So that was something really neat. Um, I, if, we, if we go and one thing happens, you know, I'll be like, oh, that's really cool. Let's go home now. I'm just here for the architecture. <laughs> so then there is the Civil War barracks. And uh, it's the oldest part of the asylum. It was the first part that was built. Well, and again, it, was, it became a barracks before it was even done being built, as mm-hmm. we said. And uh, I was watching a clip from the show Ghost Brothers. Which is hilarious. I want to get Discovery (laughs) Plus just to watch these guys. So uh, it starts off with them walking down the halls and they're like, we could be like white folk and just just really heavily investigate these rooms. Or we could just walk by and go, yeah, that looks haunted. And just keep walking. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so, uh, there the way I guess because I've never seen a full episode, I just saw this one clip. But it, the way I gathered is that two of them will investigate while one stays back and directs them where to go, and he has like blueprints of the place. And he tells him, he's like, walk down the hall. When you get through the doors, just keep going. And I, I assume that's how they got into the civil barracks wing. And then one of them stops. He's like, oh, hold on. There's a man in a uniform looking out that window over there. And he's wearing the hat and everything. Like, he looks like a Civil War soldier. He's like, this is supposed to be an asylum. Why, are, why am I seeing a Civil War soldier here? And the guy back in the headquarters in the van or wherever he is, he's like... Oh, well, that's because this was a Civil War barracks. Congratulations, you just saw something. And he <sighs> and he's like, all right, we need to go now. We're <laughs> out. <Wow. laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I kept that for last because I have such a distaste for these kind of shows after knowing what Ghost Hunters has done to their audience. Wasn't it Taps? Taps, yeah, Ghost Taps, Hunters. Yeah. Yeah. Taps is the company, Ghost Hunters is the show. And how they blatantly lie to their audience all the time in fake footage. They, and fi they find a ghost every time. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, right? And when one when one of their co-hosts, Donna, quits because she realized she, she was lied to, you know something's wrong. And so I always... Oh, I always have issues when one of these shows, like, sees something, you know, and things like that, but... But in the Civil I thought War it was a barracks, great story. People are like, that's when they're, they're actually hurt. Like, they get scratched, they get Yes, um, yeah, like, it's pretty violent. One guy got, like, a burn on his arm from going in there. Yeah, we don't want to go there. Yeah. We sleep over. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to hang out in Lily's room the whole night. Yep. Another okay. story I have. I have one more for you. I lied again. So, uh, the kitchen ghost. Oh, yeah, what is this kitchen ghost? The kitchen ghost. Okay. Uh, when people are in or around the kitchen, they get this feeling of being watched. Even, like, in the middle of the day. Like, this is a very strong presence that they get. And one of the security guards, as he's doing his thing, saw the gray silhouette of a woman in the doorway. And he wasn't in the kitchen, but she was. And he couldn't see any of her features, but he knew that she was watching him. And, uh... You cooking that soup correctly? I'm I assume... <laughs> Don't you dare add too much salt. I assume he quickly left the area. <laughs> hey, ghost, it's your boy. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. All right, so do we think this place is haunted? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. I agree. All right. Tim, I want to say thank you. This was a fun, re well, fun being um, the operative word that we used. It was a fun recording. Yeah. The topic. on <laughs> We used the word interesting and fun fact too much. <laughs> I don't think we used either of them today. Um, I had fun fact in my script, and I believe Tim said it actually this time, so uh, it's not my fault. It was Tim because he was, read it. It was all me. That's right. Um, <laughs> but I, had, I really enjoyed going into this history because it, it was kind of cool to see the connection from Penhurst and Harrisburg State and to know that it wasn't just Penhurst, that it was kind of everywhere, to me is sad because it showcases the the drop in humanity you know in a way but as jackie has said you know we have to remember that this is how they were trained to take care of people and it started off with good intentions but then they started hiring staff that aren't degreed in it like jackie yeah. is you know and that's when it breaks your heart because someone like jackie would rock this job but some people shouldn't have been there you know yeah but 
Like, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's, it's, and a lot more people should have been there. <laughs> a lot, lot, a more, lot more. Yeah. Um, just for like, when we were talking about, like, I caught a big section of that when I was editing the Jackie podcast, but we had talked a lot about like, you know, nurses and doctors and teachers over COVID and, you know, just the, our classroom sizes are growing again. Whereas it started to go down after like 2000, then 2010, it finally started going back to like the good number, but we could have numbers of like 35 kids in a classroom now. And so we'll never get to 250, which is Good. 35 is still 35 too much. Yeah. Actually, I shouldn't even say that because there are people who are being hired as super subs in some schools and they're being put in auditoriums to watch kids uh-huh. who, um, if their teachers are absent, they're all sent there for like a study hall because there aren't enough subs. So I take it back. Some people are that being put up with kids with like a lot of kids. I don't think it's 250. That's like an entire, it's probably closer to like 80. Yeah. If it's three classes, you're talking could be close to 100. Yeah. So yeah. it is kind of happening, but. But that's only for like 40 minute stretches too. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I do, I would love to learn more about this place. I'd love to go visit actually, because I think it, I think the way that they're doing it, as you mentioned, is kind of beautiful mm. money to restore it. And they're treating it as a historical marker. Yeah. And I think the idea that they're trying to look for all these unmarked graves and give people like a proper burial is kind of beautiful. So yeah. I would love to give my money where it needs to go. Absolutely. Oh, Ro- and road trip. Yes. In response to this, I want to say thank you to one of our listeners, Sky, for giving us a nail out of the Quaker building of Penhurst. We now have a piece of literal history. We do. We may have soaked it in holy water. <laughs> may have is not correct. Definitely did. <laughs> and put it up by Jesus in our prayer corner for a bit. Yep. Um, so thank you to Sky for giving that to us. It's just I waited to mention it on this podcast because it connects to this one. So it's kind of exciting to get that from Sky. That was really cool. Yeah. I'm excited to have it. And it was, it was kind of nice to like think, oh my gosh, you know, Quaker building. And again, they're selling this to make money to help refurbish Penhurst. And mm-hmm. take, so I'm glad that we have people who are human are trying to make this a better situation, you know, yeah. and, and to not hide history. I guess Absolutely, because yeah. it's important to know what happened there. So we don't do it again. Right. So we can move forward and learn from our mistakes. Yeah. yeah we don't want to see this kind of happen again. So, well, in any case, thank you, Tim, for being here. Thank you for having me. It was great. It was awesome. Do you want to come back again? Absolutely. No finally, longer nervous or scared. Finally made it into the well house. <laughs> Hopefully you can get out. So everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, we, again, reminder, we do have a giveaway coming up as soon as, the entire Games Overboard program has 10,000 downloads. Yep, so keep going. Which will be happening quite soon mm-hmm. by the looks of it. Uh, so once that does, the giveaway is going to go live. And so if you wish to be entered, just email us with subject line contest and... Uh, at gamesaboard at gmail.com. Yes. And please feel free to let us know what you think of our episodes, what you like, what you don't like, so we can cater to what you yeah. want. Jackie has been on. Tim has been on. Penny will be on. I mean, you, if you want to be a part of this podcast, please. Again, I only have my husband in this house. It was nice to see a face that wasn't PJ. <laughs> <laughs> Although they're wearing the exact same shirt and their glasses are very similar and they have similar hairstyles. So, yeah, kind of creepy. We were, ro- we're rocking it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> got, it, my, got my shirt on. Someone didn't get the memo. I did not get the memo. Actually, I folded that shirt. They're wearing the Wellhouse exorcism shirt. Um, and I was like, I should probably put this on for tonight. But I was like, no, it's hot. I'm going to wear a tank top. <laughs> I just want my guts. Which I actually won. 
That's right. Yeah, you did in, one, win. in one of your drawings. That's right. So I, I couldn't believe that when your name popped up on the wheel. <laughs> Can I just say how close it was to not being you? Like when you do those little spinny things, it spins and spins and spins and spins, and then it was like almost not you, but it stopped. And I was like, "Go, Tib!" <laughs> I was excited for you. We never lie. Whoever wins wins. Absolutely. So anyway, you can uh, once you post that live, you can comment on YouTube, you can comment on Facebook, you can private message us, you can email us. Mm-hmm. You can also check out our other podcasts. Yep, well, you can check out Games Overboard if you're a board gamer. Uh, you can check that out. Or if you're looking to get into board games, we have some introductory episodes of like what games you could get. Because uh, board games are not what they used to be. And lots of YouTube um, videos of us interviewing actual board game designers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is pretty cool, including Jamie Stegmeier. Yep. Super hot Jamie My favorite Stegmeier. designer. Yes. And uh, then there's Danger and Dice if you're interested in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, look up the Force Year campaign, which uh, Shanna's brother Jack runs. And or we if you are characters. Look up the most downloaded version. Look up Dee Dee's Christmas Festival. Which I Shanna may runs, have been the yeah. DM for that one. Just saying. Yep. Uh, but we are characters in it, and I honestly say, like, I can't stop laughing when when we record it and then when I edit it. We end up we end up crying because we're laughing so hard. It, yeah, it's really funny. The story's fun. The characters are great. The yeah, humor is great. Take a look on our, our website, gamesoverboard.com to get an idea of our other podcasts too. Yep, and they're all, they're pictures of us if you want to do that to yourself. Yeah, we're sorry in <laughs> advance. And uh, yeah, so you can meet the team that way and see what we're all about. That's right. Tim, did you have fun? Absolutely, I had a blast. All right, come back again, sir. Thank you very much. We are lunatics from the hospital up the highway, psychoceramics, the cracked pots of mankind. Would you like me to decipher Rorschach for you? No? He must bury on? Ah, he's gone. Pity. He turned to McMurphy. Never before did I realize that mental illness could have the aspect of power. Power. Think of it. Perhaps the more insane a man is, the more powerful he could become. Hitler, an example. Fair makes the old brain real, doesn't it? Food for thought there. Ken Casey, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. 